Welcome to Geek Exploration, the podcast, where we liberate geeky artifacts one topic at a time. I'm John Williams. And I'm Ben Robinson. Today we'll be discussing one of our favorite film series. Throw me the idol and I'll throw you the whip. We're talking Indiana Jones. How are you doing this week, Ben? I'm doing pretty well. How about you, John? I'm doing very fine. Um, so this uh, this week, we are discussing, like you said, uh, something that is of great importance to us, Indiana Jones. Um, did you do any research this week? Not nearly as much as I should have. I watched Temple of Doom with my kids last week, which is kind of what really it kind of made me think of it. And I watched Last Crusade today, and I, I, watched, I watched Raiders of the Lost Ark about a year ago, so my memory of it's a little bit more hazy, but uh, I've seen it a ton of times. So yeah, now just for our listening audience out there, so they can judge you. How old are your children? My children are eight and ten. Temple of Doom, huh? Yeah, it's a great movie. How do they deal a- with the uh, with the violence? Oh, they're 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 terribly violent kids. So <laughs> they 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 were just fine. Excellent. They've they've seen Alien, so. Oh shit! So Temple of Doom was nothing. You know, it's it's really interesting. I I just heard something earlier on a show I was listening to about how the world has changed. You know, America is still super super stuffy about sex and nudity and that sort of thing, but the exposure that children have to violence is, um, I mean, it, it's like it doesn't affect people. So if it's a movie, you know, like Deadpool or or something where where it's just well, I guess Deadpool does have nudity in it, but the violence is not really a big deal to parents showing their kids. Well, I mean, for me, like gratuitous gore, like I haven't shown them like Friday the 13th or uh, any of the 80s slasher films, really. It's just, you know, over the top gratuitous gore is one thing. I mean, I guess Alien has some of that, but uh, it I, I don't know. I guess with Alien, it just, it's more, the context is better. They're aliens, so of course they're going to kill people. I, I don't know. Uh, it's probably some weird personal bias that I have that makes that, justifiable for me <laughs> i can't really explain why well that's the thing i don't i don't think you are alone i think it's i think it's a it's a different world than when we were children but then again i guess i was raised in a in a mormon household so oh yeah i mean i remember the i saw terminator 2 when i was in the fourth grade yeah you know what that that was the very first rated r movie i ever saw i saw it at a friend's house it's a good choice yeah, yeah. I, I i talked my mom into renting it for me because i was super sick and uh, she had to leave me home at alone while she went to well both my parents went to work so she said she would rent me a couple movies and my choices were terminator and terminator 2 and because i was so sick she allowed it well, and after asking for uh, for Flight of the Navigator, you learned your lesson. Yeah, yeah. And I rewarded her by uh, simultaneously puking and shitting on her bed. So sorry, Mom. <laughs> I'm sure you've done worse. Yeah, I mean, I, at least I was sick, so I had, I had an excuse. Yeah, I'm sure she doesn't even remember it. No, I bet she would. I bet she remembers yeah, it. Never yeah. mind. I remember it. Yeah, and your memory's terrible. It is horrible. So Indiana Jones, do you uh, do you remember your first uh, exposure to this? 
I don't. I mean, I know I watched the movies when I was a kid. I loved the movies when I was a kid, but I don't have any like specific memories surrounding watching the films. I mean, I probably watched them a half a dozen times over over the course of my younger years, um, but I don't. Like I don't have any specific thing like oh this I, mean, I remember watching it and it made me feel this way and that other than I remember loving the films. What I do remember is the first time I went on the Indiana Jones ride at Disneyland, and uh, it was fucking phenomenal. I, I it's still to this day my favorite ride at Disneyland. Yeah, Just absolutely. The, the smell of the fog machine driving across the bridge—it's all shaking, and the fire comes out. You could feel the heat. I mean, it was just—you uh, know—you're in that little jeep. Yeah, uh, when when you come around that corner and and the music cue is perfect, it does that like, Wa-la-la. yeah. Oh man, you go down the hall and like the the little air darts are hitting you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, indie swings over your head, and yeah, it's just a, it's it's a cool ride, and I'm, I. I, I believe they still have it. I hope they still have it because oh, it's, it's awesome. Yeah, that's going nowhere. Yeah, I was I was there a year ago, and it was still there, and I rode it several times. They haven't updated it for, like, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull and put Shia LaBeouf <laughs> riding across the track or anything, have they? No, no, not at all. Thank God. <laughs> Give them time. Yeah. Yeah, it'll happen at some point. Well, I don't know. I, I, I feel like they've like they've firmly left that chapter behind. You know, when when they they've been talking about the new movie, and he is definitely not a part of the uh, the discussion. I mean, he wasn't the only thing wrong with that movie either. I mean, I don't want to. I'm not a big Shia LaBeouf fan, but uh, I you know, I don't think he was the sole reason that movie wasn't that great. True story. But uh, what about you, John? What do you remember about Indiana Jones? You know, it's one of those things we are, we were talking about this earlier um, before we recorded that. It's something that you sort of take for granted, like like Star Wars or Superman, you know, that that just was always around for for as long as you can remember. So it's like, what is the first impression? So I, I don't know. I was I was racking my brain and a couple things stood out. One, th- this isn't really a memory for Indiana Jones for me, but I remember in 1989, the, the summer of 89, you know, a magical time. I went to go see Batman with uh, with a friend of mine and my sister. And my dad and another one of my sisters went and saw Last Crusade at the same time. So, it, you know, it, it's got a it's got a heavy attachment to that period of time. You know, I I'll never forget when Last Crusade came out. So I guess that's a really terrible memory um, yeah. as far as like first impression. <laughs> Your first impression was not going to see yes the, it in the theater. Yeah, choosing but- Batman over it. Not a terrible choice, though. But I mean, that's a kind of a Sophie's choice of movies. There, you know, it's it's yeah. And we were born in '82, so we were what? Uh, if it was the summer before our birthdays, so we we were we weren't weren't quite seven years old. I'm not shocked at all that I uh, that I chose Batman over over Indiana Jones. But a, a memory that stands out strong from from childhood is seeing Temple of Doom for the first time. We were at uh, some family friend's place, you know, going over there, watching movie, playing games, just like we always did when we were uh, when we were kids. And I don't remember a lot from watching the movie there. Like, I'm, I, I'm surprised I don't remember the first time I saw the bug scenes because th- those, yeah. those still creep me the hell right out. But I vividly remember the heart rip scene. You know, oh, yeah, when when um yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 
And, and you know, when, and then when, the guy didn't die. Like I, I do remember that when I was younger. Like, like they ripped the guy's heart out, but like he's not dead. Yeah, Muller Arm Straight Whoa. has a beating heart in his hand that catches on fire when the guy's body goes down into the lava or whatever it is. Yeah, and he's still screaming all kinds. Like he's he's fully alive. Yeah, that's it's still really bizarre to me. But um, man, my mom, you know, growing up in a in a strict. I guess not too strict, but uh, growing up in a Mormon household, stuff like that doesn't really fly. So growing up, we were not allowed to own Temple of Doom. I rented it on occasion, and I eventually bought my own copy of the VHS that I would just, you know, watch when she wasn't around. Were you able allowed to own the other ones? Yes. So it's just specifically heart ripping out. That, that crossed the line. Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean... Uh, like face-melting, turbo-aging, general disregard for human life was okay. Yeah, yeah. Even like the... the I remember... I, I even remember as a kid um, with Last Crusade, like when uh, when the, the first test of... Uh, in the Grail Temple, when that guy's head gets cut off and rolls down the steps, I yeah. remember that vividly. And no, that wasn't as big of a deal, but I think it was just the fact that it was like a... It was clearly a satanic human sacrifice ritual underground, you know, with with a with a dude ripping out a heart with his bare hands, and you know, people are chanting and shit. Like that's a bit more intense, yeah, and it and it went yes. on longer. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the e- the eating scene was pretty <laughs> gross too. Oh, I love that snake surprise. Yeah. Chilled monkey brains. <laughs> Do you have anything like soup? Ugh, careful what you wish for, <laughs> Willie. Um, so a, a little little history on the uh, on the Indiana Jones franchise. So going back to you know the late seventies, um, while working on Star Wars. George Lucas had this idea that he wanted to do something that was a, a throwback to the old Republic serials, the old adventure serials from back in the 30s, you know, where, where it was just pure, cheesy, heroic adventure stories. So he and, oh, crap, I should have taken better notes. He had a gentleman working with him that uh, <laughs> they did all this, uh, this pre-planning and pre-visualization for a character called Indiana Smith. Um, that was going to be an archaeologist that would uh, that would encounter some a-holes and get into some sticky situations and get himself out. And then uh, in Hawaii, while while George Lucas and Steven Spielberg were building sandcastles and waiting on the box office grosses for Star Wars, George and as as I like to call him, you know, his friends call him George. Good old, good old Georgie Lucas. Yeah, you can you can call him you can call him Mister Lucas. He asked uh, he asked Steven Spielberg what he was up to next. Spielberg said that he wanted to direct a uh, James Bond film. That was a, a passion of his. And George Lucas just sort of pitched him this idea, you know, of Indiana Smith, a globetrotting archaeologist adventure hero, you know, uh, that, that was a callback to, to the old serials. And um, Spielberg bought into it. And he just one thing, though, he hated the name Indiana Smith, you know, for, for whatever reason. So uh, the the story goes, George just said, well, how about Jones? And uh, and there you have it. And just like in the movie that, that you just watched, when Sean Connery says, we named the dog Indiana, you know, uh, Indiana Jones was named after George Lucas's dog, Indiana. 
and it was a it was a big old Malamute that also um, coincidentally was the inspiration for Chewbacca, for his look. Oh, interesting! I did not. I I, I don't. I didn't know that. Yeah. I, though I gotta say, I think I would have liked to watch Spielberg's take on James Bond. I don't know if it would have really fit in that great with James Bond canon, but it would have been fun. Yeah, I would love it if he if he made a James Bond picture now. You know, yeah. Like, what what the hell? Come on, give it to us. If you're not doing another Indiana Jones for a couple of years, why not? Um, so from there, they brought on uh, Lawrence Kasdan after Spielberg bought the script for Continental Divide. And um, from what they say, you know, it was it was Kasdan that really brought the script to life and fleshed out the characters and gave it the strong period feel that they were looking for. Now, when casting the role, they famously had Tom Selleck locked in. He was set. He'd screen tested. They had Tom Selleck. He was going to be their Indiana Jones. And then Magnum P.I. got picked up for series and he had to drop out. So um, I don't know if it, I think uh, I think it was uh, Spielberg who asked George Lucas, like, well, what about Harrison Ford? And maybe it was George that said that said, no, I don't you know, I've worked with him before. Blah, 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 I don't want it. He's a real asshole. You don't want him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Fuck that guy. Um, but I could be completely talking out of my ass. So make sure you, uh, email us at email at geeksplorationpodcast.com and, uh, let me know if I'm right or wrong or if you hate me because of it. Uh, either way, I'm good. I'm sending that email right now. Yeah. So, <laughs> Fuck John. So Harrison Ford got the role and nobody has ever regretted it. So after that, they shopped the movie around, and no studios wanted it at all. George Lucas, you know, said that he could make it for twenty million. Nobody believed him. The script was, you know, it was it was big. It's got the Ark of the Covenant. It's got special effects. It's got locations, and um, you know, Lucas suggested that they shoot it just kind of rough and dirty, like the old serials. And eventually, they uh, they got Paramount to agree to fund it, and it was a good decision for Paramount because it was the highest grossing film of nineteen eighty one. It was nominated for eight Academy Awards, uh, including Best Picture, and it won for Best Art Direction, Film Editing, Sound, and a Special Achievement Award for Sound Effects Engineering. So, I think I think they did all right for their little uh, their little twenty million venture. Is that what they actually ended up spending on the movie? From what I understand, yeah, I, I didn't find any reports of a Jaws fiasco just going over budget and over schedule and everything going wrong. Like I'm. I'm pretty sure they were successful. You know, they depended on a lot of practical effects and a lot of model work and, you know, very, very minimal compositing. Yeah, which is one of the things that uh, I really appreciate about the series is the practical effects that you just don't see anymore. Absolutely. And you, you don't see it anymore, including the latest Indiana Jones movie, which was to its detriment, you know, severely. The the CGI in there, like, it opens with a friggin' CGI gopher coming out of the ground. You know, it, it, come on, what are, you, what are you doing to me? And, like, even when they're just replacing backgrounds and skylines with CGI, it's like, it looks fake, and I hate it. Yeah. Well, the thing is, like, in the, in the old movies, too, it was fake. Like, I mean, I've got the, uh, the From Star Wars to Indiana Jones book that they sell at Disneyland. Yeah, which yeah. is awesome. It's full of all kinds of stuff, but it's got pictures of the models they used. It's got you know, the, like the minecart scene from Temple of Doom. You know, they've got they built little models with you know, short round and Willie and Indy in them, and the the other guys for the parts where it's zooming by fast, and uh, it looks great. I mean, you, you know, it's got early green screen technology where 
you know, I just watched The Last Crusade and uh, the the part where he's, uh, the Nazi SS guy, I can't remember his name, is shaking his fist at the Zeppelin as it flies away. Oh, like man. One of the most obvious green screens in the series. I mean, it's, it's just, it's so bad. It's terrible. It is, it's, my, my kids even met, they were like, my, my daughter said, that's photoshopped. I was like, well, yeah, it was early on. Hey, photoshopped. What are you going to do? But yeah, the, the practical effects were great. I mean, they they built little models and did lots of matte paintings for backdrops instead of CGI. And uh, it looked fantastic for the most part. Well, and that's something that 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 I've always thought and felt and that I'm sure we'll, we'll cover in our eventual Star Wars episode is that the, the, the effects back then... They felt real because they were real. Yeah, you don't you, have to worry you, about the uncanny valley where something just looks slightly off because it's hard to animate, you know, reality. Well, yeah, and and even when it's something that's that's blocky and shit, like a like a spaceship or something, you know, the, there there are certain things that a real camera can achieve that, or I guess can't achieve that. You know, a CGI camera. When you have a CGI model, you can move this camera all over the place. It can do all sorts of great dynamic angles, but at the end of the day. It doesn't trick my brain because I go, these people didn't actually shoot this like this. It's not possible, or at least not uh, practical. So, so it, I, it just registers as fake to me. Well, and I, and I think some of that. I mean, some of the shots are kind of cool, and they can they've had their place for sure. There's some times where it looks fantastic. Yeah, but the trend for shaky camera and things zooming in and out and just all kinds of crazy stuff. I don't know. I just don't. Like like the new Transformers movies, I I guess they're not that new anymore. But the Michael Bay Transformers movies, mm-hmm. um, some of the times it's just such a hot fucking mess. You can't even really tell what's going on because the the models have so much detail and it's just a bunch of machine parts smashing into each other. It just doesn't I don't know, just doesn't do it for me. Whereas uh, like I just watched Spaceballs the other day, and it's got you know the mockingly long intro sequence where the ship flies by oh yeah absolutely and they totally just built a giant model with all those little bits and pieces and details on there and someone actually built all the little details on there and it just it looks good yeah as it goes by it looks great now the jets in the back look kind of dated because uh, those were added on later in post-production but uh the rest of it looks fantastic yeah absolutely i like practical effects and i think the more more you can use them the better I agree 100%. Yeah, and you can use them in modern movies. Like Guillermo, Guillermo del Toro likes to is really good at that stuff. Uh, like Pan's Labyrinth has just a load of really good-looking practical effects in it. Oh yeah, and did you see Shape of Water? I haven't. I need to though because it sounds good and because I, I like having sex with fish. Oh. It sounds that's... like it's right up my alley. Oh man. You're in luck then. <laughs> uh, yeah, but you know it's the movie the movie is it's a gorgeous flick it's it's you know if you don't like artsy fartsy foreign type uh cinematography and sound and whatnot and you know music you may not like this because it's it's got a fair bit of that you know he, he was going back to some low budget roots but it was it was a gorgeous flick and the the makeup effects when you watch the uh special features of how they created it you know with doug jones in the suit like those people they have such a firm grip of what they're doing 
and it shows and it's gorgeous, you know, and, and yeah, of course they enhanced it with CGI here and there. But when you see the makeup tests, you see the suit tests, just the stuff that they can achieve on their own. And like you said, Pan's Labyrinth, I, I bought that recently. I need to go back and watch it again because the creature effects are ridiculous. They're so good. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's probably one of my top 10 favorite movies ever. Oh, shit. I had no idea. I love that movie. I want my kids to watch that movie because it's creepy as fuck, but it's it's I don't think it's too much for them. But yeah, they subtitles. Can't, they can't quite read fast enough to keep up with the story. I can't quite read fast enough. I'm, I I hate subtitles. I I really do. I don't want to read while I'm watching a movie. I want to watch the movie. Oh well. <laughs> <laughs> Those are the breaks. No subtitles in Indiana Jones. Yeah. So uh, so next up we have Temple of Doom that was released in 1984. Um, oh, I don't think I, I mentioned when Raiders was released. 81, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Before I was born, I know that. All right, so uh, in, uh, in 1984 we saw Temple of Doom. It was the, the sequel to Raiders of the Lost Ark. They, they added on for branding purposes, I imagine, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, whereas Raiders of the Lost Ark was just a... Uh, just a catchy title without the character name in it. It wasn't wasn't a thing yet. It co-starred Kate Capshaw as a uh, singer slash performer slash shrill voice nag Willie Scott, elephant hating monster. Yeah, what a bitch. Yeah, anything goes, right? And uh, and it had Jonathan Key Kwan as Indy's sidekick, uh, Short Round. That was his uh, his debut role, actually. The story goes, he was just accompanying his brother in who was uh, who was auditioning for the role. And um, I don't know if it was the casting director or or Spielberg. Somebody somebody spotted him out there, and they just asked him to read, and he straight up got the role. So good so for him. If that was his debut performance, did he do anything after that? Are you setting me up? I'm just asking, do you know, did he... Oh. No, did he... <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm not familiar with his work outside of Indiana Jones. Oh, you are familiar with one role that you just don't realize. He was Data in Goonies. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. totally. Yep, and what's weird is like, okay, so his name is Jonathan Key Kwan, but then I, I, I think in the credits for Goonies, it was like, I'm not sure how it would be pronounced. It was Key... Uh, Hui or some, it was H U Y. So I'm not sure how it would be pronounced in in the language or the accent or the dialect from where it came from. But yeah, yeah, he was he was Data. So Spielberg kept his eye on him. But I I think for the most part that was uh, you know I don't think he did anything else of note. I would love to see him come back as as Shorty in a in a new picture. You know, as a, as an adult. You know, maybe come back as a grizzled villain because. Temple of Doom is a prequel, so uh, you know what what happened to Shorty by the time Raiders and uh, and Last Crusade came around. Yeah, probably nothing good. Yeah, I mean the the life you know living with Indiana Jones is is probably similar to living with Batman. It didn't doesn't always work out great for Robin either. Yeah, you're gonna get fucked up. Yeah, yeah, it's not the safest you know place for a kid. In in Raiders of the Lost Ark, Indiana Jones was fighting Nazis. Great villain to fight. They were going after the Ark of the Covenant. Hitler famously, you know, was collecting spiritual artifacts, trying to get some power and whatnot. But they took a step back from that in uh, Temple of Doom, and it sees Indy in India actually getting involved with a small village whose uh, whose Shankara stones were stolen, and children were abducted by the thuggy cult and forced into slave labor. Um, the cult also practiced 
ritualistic human sacrifices by ripping people's hearts out as we were discussing already and lowering them into uh into do you think that's lava down there it looks like lava yeah i would imagine i mean hellfire maybe i mean uh something it's lava yeah it seems kind of weird though like can people dig a hundred foot pit in india and get to liquid hot magma uh i'm not sure about in india but i mean it's there i mean they also have stones that have magical properties and yeah, but that's real. People that can rip other people's hearts out and stuff. So I think uh, I think they could probably manage some lava. I'm not I'm not seeing where where the where the the loss of logic is in that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So the film did well financially, but it was uh, it was criticized heavily for its violence. And um, this movie was the was the movie that more or less created the need or you know created the need for PG-13. Yeah, really? But, yeah, absolutely. Before this movie, uh, you know, like Raiders of the Lost Ark with melting faces and shit, that was PG. Which Raiders actually was going to get an R rating for uh, Belloc's exploding head in the end. But for whatever reason, they were able to avoid that by putting fire over his face, you know, and just distorting it a little bit when it explodes. That's what made the difference. Is there like a director's cut where they don't have the fire? No, not as far as I know. Uh, Spielberg famously doesn't uh, doesn't like to mess with his movies much. You know, he did it with E.T., and I think after the criticism of that, he doesn't like to do it. He's the anti-George Lucas, and I love that about him. Well, that's fair, because George didn't do himself any favors. Yeah, and, and, and when you're watching Raiders, you can still fully see Belloc's screaming face and, and see the explosion. It's just, the fire is just sort of like a like a 50% opacity layer over it just just so it so it's not just like this is a an exploding face you know so it's less like scanners and and you know just a little bit distorted yeah so it's not dramatically different like robocop yeah yeah no not at all yeah the footage is all still there oh my goodness that robocop i can't wait till we do an episode on that so yeah yeah temple of doom was it's got hearts getting ripped out you know like that's not for four-year-olds you know i wouldn't i wouldn't show it to my four-year-old yeah but it but it did well enough to warrant more sequels albeit five years later which is last crusade came out in 89 and uh it it was sort of a return to form you know we had marcus brody back we had sala um it introduced indiana's father uh played by sean connery who hey look spielberg got to work with connery even though it wasn't uh wasn't a james bond movie although i guess by the late 70s Connery was done with Bond besides Never Say Never Again, but that's uh, that's for a different episode. And uh, they brought in Allison Duty. Duty. Yep. As Dr. Elsa Schneider, the Nazi sympathizer, spoiler alert, she, she did a serviceable job. Yeah, she's, um, what is she? She's either British or Australian, but she did, uh, she did that accent very well. I was convinced. Yeah, she, she seemed German enough to me, or yeah. Austrian, I guess technically. Yeah, I think she was Austrian. Yeah, she was a she was a pretty lady. And that movie, you know, again with a return to form, focused on another religious artifact and Nazis as the villains. You know, this one they were going after the Holy Grail. Um, this one also had a uh, a cold open with the first instance of instance of somebody playing a young Indiana Jones, which was uh, River Phoenix. Yeah, I'd forgotten that it was River Phoenix until I saw his name in the uh, credits when it was opening. I was like, yeah. Oh, yeah, that was totally him. Yeah, he did a great job. He had worked with uh, with Harrison Ford on the Mosquito Coast, where he played his son. And from all accounts, he would, he would you know, follow Harrison Ford around. 
and study the way he reacted to things and study his facial expressions. And so he's, he tried really hard to be a young Harrison Ford, and that's super cool. And we got to see where, where he got his fear of snakes, where he got that scar under his lip, and where he got the idea for his outfit, which was, I don't know, it seemed a little unnecessary, but... Yeah, they make it seem like it's even the same fedora. Yeah, yeah, the way the way he puts his head down and raises it back up. Yeah. And, you know, seeing that other guy in it, you, it's it's weird because it's supposed to be the inspiration for Indiana Jones, but you're looking at it and you're like, why is this guy dressed up like Indiana Jones? Who is this turd? <laughs> why is he hanging around with Laughing Boy, you know? <laughs> is, that, is that Indy's stunt double? Yeah. What's going on? I wonder if it was. That would be interesting. Yeah, he seemed a little, little thinner. And then... From 1989, we go all the way up to 2008 with Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. And reportedly, this movie was going to take place in the 50s. So George Lucas wanted to change his inspiration, you know, whereas it was the, the serials from the 30s and 40s back then that was the inspiration. He, he was looking to the B-movies of the 50s since that's where the movie was going to be set. Um, so he originally wanted to call the movie Indiana Jones and the Saucermen from Mars. Jesus. Yeah. And, you know, of course, famously now his uh, his idea was to pit Indiana Jones against aliens of some kind. And, you know, to be honest, I'm not bothered by that at all. A lot of people freaked out. They're like, Indiana Jones taking on aliens. What are you what are you talking about? That's not a religious artifact. That's not mythic culture. It's like this is the very essence to me of what Indiana Jones is. They 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 take something that for all intents and purposes does not exist and they make it exist and they make it work in the world we're in you know like it doesn't change the world the fact that they actually did find the ark of the covenant or the holy grail you know like like the world is still the same like it could have happened in our world well and all the movies have kind of pay homage to the supernatural and i guess it's generally more historically supernatural but they still tied that in with you know the was it the aztecs or the incas one of the two mm-hmm. and presumably the the aliens helping them build you know the pyramids and if it was machu picchu and stuff it'd be the incas but um yeah so, so i mean that was kind of true to form i didn't have any big problem with the alien thing either really i mean they've got you know i guess if it had been like bigfoot it would have been a little weird yeah you know i guess maybe a yeti would be less weird but uh because at least it's more historical. I don't know. <laughs> he's, he's an archaeologist, after all. Well, yeah, and the way they played aliens, you know, like they, they weren't little saucer men. They weren't like Mars attacks, like like villains going, wah, 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 and zapping people. Like they, they described them as interdimensional beings, and they're at a temple where people don't go in the end, where it's not open to the public, so people aren't privy to the to the events that are happening there. And they disappear in the end. So there's no actual proof that any of this happened. And to me, that's exactly what an Indiana Jones movie does. You know, at the end of Raiders with the Ark of the Covenant being examined by top men and being hidden away. Or it's locked away in that giant government warehouse. and Yeah, and and the Holy Grail falls into a pit. Mm -hmm. So there's no proof that it ever actually existed. That to me is, or I guess even in Temple of Doom with the the water flushing out all of that shit that was in there and all the people. Well, yeah, and the stones just kind of go back to the village they were from, where everyone, every Western mind that comes through will disregard them as a superstition. Do they actually go back? Oh, do they find them and take them back to the village? Because I, yeah, he takes the stone back to the village. Uh, at least the one. I don't know what he oh, did with the other two. Oh, that's right. Yeah, because the other two dumped into Alligator River there with Molaram getting all 
Yeah, but he's able to save the one and bring it back to the village. And that's right. Like as soon as he gets it back, like they say, their crops started growing again. So like they knew he was successful before he got there. Yeah, yeah. I man, I I wish I I wish I could have done as much research this week as I wanted to. I you know it's it's been a while since I watched Temple. Wait, especially when research is watching Indiana Jones movies. Yeah, and then just a little a uh, little capper on Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Um, it did see the return of Karen Allen as uh, as Marion Ravenwood. It also had Kate Blanchett as Russian agent extraordinaire, like kind of a caricature, like like Natasha from Boris and Natasha with her accent. Uh, it, was, it was a comically Russian Russian accented. Uh, what was she a, a telepath? Something like that. Yeah, it's been a while since I've seen that movie, so I don't. But yeah, something like that. Yeah, she had some sort of mental thing going on. Yeah. Who knows if it was uh, if it was legit or not. And then the notorious Shia LaBeouf as Mutt Williams, Indiana Jones's son. Thank the good Lord that, I mean, I remember watching that movie in the theaters. And in the end, when, the, when that fedora blows off the hat rack and Mutt looks at it and he goes to grab it. And I was like, oh, don't you dare do this. Don't you do this, you fuck. And uh, Indiana grabs it from him. You know, he's like, ha ha, gives him a little smirk. I was like, oh, thank goodness. It, you know, I, I know Spielberg had a hard on for Shia LaBeouf for a little bit there, you know, and from all from all I've heard, that dude is a serious, insane, dedicated actor. So I don't have a problem with Shia LaBeouf in that necessarily. I didn't like his character, though. I didn't like Mutt Bonersmith or whatever his name was. <laughs> um, he just he he didn't seem like a good successor to Indiana Jones at all. He's, I guess he was just like an uncultured brat essentially yeah trying to do like a like a brando or or like steve mcqueen sort of 50s cool guy and dipping his comb in a coca-cola and combing his hair with it like ugh. yeah and i just i can't see him replacing indiana jones and doing indiana jones stuff with any sort of legitimacy yeah yeah for sure yeah he seemed like like an all-around dum-dum when they were uh doing that 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 grave uh grave robbing scene yeah, you know, just it, sort of trailing along, going, "Oh, what are you doing? Oh, so this, this is what this is what a teacher does. Or you're a teacher." Yeah, like, and and I really enjoyed in the Last Crusade the dynamic between Henry Jones and Indiana Jones, like the father son dynamic, and that was great. Yeah, it was kind of like the academic neglectful father who you know ultimately really pushed Indiana Jones to be a lot of who he was, but they did not have a great relationship. Whereas this other guy's just like some kid that showed up and said, I'm your son and I'm a douche. Yeah. Yeah, so that that about uh, wraps it up for, for history. Hopefully in the near future we'll have we'll have something to add to it. They've been talking about doing a movie. It was originally slated to be released in 2019, but I can't remember why, but for some reason it got pushed back a year. So I think right now tentatively 2020 is the date. And I'm pretty sure Harrison Ford at that point is going to be like 79 years old or some shit. He is going to be an old, old man, but I want as I want as much as I can get before somebody dies and they reboot the franchise and I hopefully or I mean hopefully it's good but I mean I I don't know I I could see like live and let live on this one no fuck you yeah no I mean I'd like I the King of the Crystal Skull wasn't that great I love the first three Indiana Jones movies I don't see why why do we need more why do you not need more. Is it going to ruin anything for you if there is another one? May, it depends on what they do. If it's you know if it's like the Star Wars prequels, maybe. 
did so are you saying the Star Wars prequels made the the classic original trilogy less enjoyable for you? No, but they well, maybe. Nah, fuck you. Probably not, but I mean, what's the point? I mean, other than the the point is for them to make a bunch of money because people will buy tickets. But I mean, what are you really adding to what is Indiana Jones? I mean, like right now, like you look at Star Wars and you say, okay, almost at least for a while, this, the new ones are better. But the prequels made part of the love for Star Wars in my heart die permanently, and so I'm not excited about new Star Wars movies. Um, I, I watch them, I enjoy them, but uh, I, it's not the same. I mean, I, I ditched school to go see the re-release in, in the theaters. Yeah. Because I was super excited. It was, it was huge. And now I just, I, you know, wait for it to come out on DVD. See, and I, I, would, I, don't I would understand. Anymore. I would understand. And I don't want them that- to do that to Indiana Jones. I would understand the re-releases ruining something for you, especially if that's all you can get on Blu-ray, because that alters the original vision. But to not create more Indiana Jones, like I, I don't, I don't, I don't understand that because I've, I've got such a love for the character that if there's even a slight possibility that they could do something great, I want them to try. I mean, I don't. I'm, I'm not saying they shouldn't. I'm just saying I don't get it, uh, and I'm reserving my excitement. My heart's been broken too many times. <laughs> you fuck, you're not that emotional. No, I I remember even though I'm a 35-year-old man, like I still get goaded into into some little little debates on on the old information superhighway every once in a while, you know, where people are just like, "Just let it die. Stop ruining it." And it's like, hey, "You motherfucker. Clearly we, you know, everybody's entitled to their own opinions and everybody's entitled to feeling how they want to feel about something. But I've got such a love for this series that, you know, like I said, if there's even a chance that, that they could do something great, I want them to try. I will go, they'll, they'll get my ticket. If they make three movies in a row that suck balls, okay, you know, I'm not going to buy it when it comes out on, on Blu-ray, but I want to go. I want to see it. I love this character so much. It's it's only when they when they go to reboot it with a different actor where I'm gonna have to wait to be excited. Well, it sounds like you're part of the problem. Then you're the, you're that guaranteed revenue that they can they can just pump crap into the pipeline and still make their money back. But if it's Spielberg that's still doing it, there is reason to believe that it could be good. I, I don't doubt that it could be like the new Jurassic Park movies. They're enjoyable. They're okay. I mean, they're good. They're good. But do I need them in my life? I don't think so. Are they yeah, are so they yeah. ever going to s- supplant the original? No. I would disagree that they're even good. No, yeah, I mean, I enjoyed them. I mean, they're they're the the problem is like I love Spielberg and I love his move a lot of his movies, but I guess the film industry has changed a bit. Well, and Spielberg lost the magic a while ago. Like like I I think I love the guy's movies, but I think Jurassic Park, like going back that far, actually kind of ruined him. Once CGI became a very viable option for him, I, I think he lost some of his magic that he had before. And I think it showed with with Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. But using using the Jurassic Park example, I don't enjoy the new Jurassic Park movies. I didn't go see the latest one in the theaters because I just don't care. But I would never dream of saying just let it die, you know, to, to the fans who Jurassic Park was... was 
their movie and they are hoping to get something great and, and they they believe in it more than somebody like me does I wouldn't try to take that away from them and, and I'm, I'm not angry at studios for f- trying to milk it if that's what they're doing well, I'm, I'm not angry at anyone either I'm just saying I'm not going to be excited about it you better get excited <laughs> right fucking now because <laughs> I mean one thing that I love about the BBC on a, on a bit of a tangent here mm-hmm. is uh, that they do really well with miniseries like they're they're perfectly okay if they've got a, a good compelling story to tell it's a good arc but it's only going to be five episodes they make it and it's good and it's done and it's over and you don't have to go back and revisit it like most tv shows like if you went to most major networks right now and said hey i got this really good idea we could do a five episode thing it's going to be awesome even if it was just a one season thing, they're looking for something with longevity. They want, you know, the Simpsons. They want, you know, the Big Bang Theory. They want something that's going to go 10 seasons. A machine that's just going to kind of self run itself. They're not going to, they don't want to take a chance on something small and interesting and just tell a good story that ends. And, uh, and I think the, the media landscape's a bit poorer for it. Yeah. Yeah, I could see that. I mean, at least you've got you've got su- certain studios and producers like Blumhouse with their with their horror movies and A twenty four and uh, Annapurna who are who are making solid little flicks on small budgets and they you know they're 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 sort of bucking the trend and I I kind of dig that. Well, I, I mean, they're bucking the trend by their budgets, but like Blumhouse, I mean, they're making a ton of money. Yeah, they are. They're making but, a ton of money. But they're making a ton of money on original content. And they're not, they're not just trying to franchise out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's, I mean, it's just, if you have a good story to tell, tell a good story. Like, I love short stories. I'm a huge fan of short stories. Like, I don't need the sequel to a bunch of, you know, Ray Bradbury's short stories. I don't want to know what happened after the parents got eaten at the end of the veld. That's exactly where I went with that, yeah. I, you know, I, you know sure, I, I can imply all kinds of stuff, but you know what? It was a good story. The point got across. It's, it's over. That's it. We don't we don't need to go back and keep drinking from that well. Yeah, and so, and I think I'm just kind of sequeled out, maybe, where I've just uh, you know they they the Hollywood these days is so sequel crazy. Uh, they go back, they revamp things, they redo things, and the la- there's just a severe lack of original content. I mean, there is some good original content out there, and I applaud it, but there's just so much you know low hanging fruit. That you know, they make a movie not because they have a really good idea for a new Indiana Jones, but because they're gonna make a bunch of money on a new Indiana Jones. Now, it, now if Spielberg's out there and he like wakes up and writes something down on paper, oh man, I just had to, yeah, I've got a, the best Indiana Jones idea ever. I'm gonna make a freaking awesome movie. Well, good. Okay, I might be excited about that. But if it's hey, it's been a while since we did Indiana Jones, and I think there's a market for it. Let's try and write something. Eh. But that that's exactly why I have faith in this, because it's not the studio controlling this. It's Spielberg and it's Lucas, and it, and they only do it if they want to do it, which that gives me the hope. If it was a different director and a different writer and, say, somebody else bought the rights to Indiana Jones, and for whatever reason, you know, they just backed a dump truck of money up to Harrison Ford's driveway to get him to play him, then, you know, yeah, I, I would have reservations. My love for the franchise is not without its uh, limits, you know, it's not blind. So it, you know, it's, but, but if, if the ingredients are there to create a good one, like I'm, I'm just not the hugest fan of Temple of Doom, but 
the, the way I see Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, like that could have been a Temple of Doom and maybe they'll learn their lessons. You know, maybe this time when George Lucas says, hey, let's have the kids swing like fucking Tarzan with a bunch of fucking monkeys to get somewhere. Spielberg will actually say, oh, yeah, remember when we did that one and everybody gave us shit and lost faith? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I think the, the the problem with the Star Wars prequels was people forgot that you need to tell George Lucas no every once in a while. Yeah, absolutely. And because making the original movies, he he heard no a lot and he was under all these constraints. But once he had full creative control, it's like, whoa, ho, hold on, buddy. Yeah. Where's this going? Yeah. And an unchecked George Lucas is a dangerous thing. And, you know, Spielberg and him go, go back so far that I'm sure he's he's probably like, oh, yeah, this would be fun. You know, instead of thinking like, oh, shit, this guy's lost his fucking mind. Yeah. Um. Oh, well. That was a good fight. Yeah, I think that, I think that ended up better than uh, what we were going to do. Yeah, yeah. And it, 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 it segued so naturally. That was great. I, I thought about it like like a little bit towards the beginning. Once we first started getting into it, I was like, oh, yeah, oh, oh this, this is totally let's fight about it segment. <laughs> oh, this is wonderful. Um, all right. So if you had to put this movie into a capsule of one word, what would that word be? I want to preface this by saying I, I love the Indiana Jones movies. Doesn't sound like it. I, <laughs> I don't want to sound racist, but um, no. After kind of watching some of them, the word that came to mind was dated. And not dated as in like the effects. I mean, some of the effects and stuff are a little dated, but I mean, they're still great. And we talked about why we love them earlier. But Yeah, the, dude shaking his arm. Yeah, just the... Uh, the archetype of the hero i just doesn't seem like it would fly as well today i mean he's it's kind of like james bond where the james bond the traditional james bond character doesn't really stand up these days anymore um and i love indiana jones i love the character i absolutely you know and 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 the datedness is probably a bit by design i mean they're going after the 1930s serials that was a long time ago almost 80 years ago 90 years ago almost but you know he's just he's he's a, a little gruff womanizing he uh he's pretty fast and loose with uh, murder he kills a lot of people well um, i don't i don't think he murders wantonly like he he i th- i think it's all reasonably in self defense or they're fucking nazis or thuggy cultists so fuck them anyways right he he does not seem bothered at all by murder which they kind of touch on in the last crusade when his dad is like a bit shocked when he murders all those Nazis. Yeah, when he first picks like, up like, that what, what did you do? I he told just, you. Don't call me Junior. Yeah, yeah. He's just mowing people down and look what you did. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he's just uh, you know he's mowing people down. He's you know grabbing women and pulling them in for a kiss, which is you know '30s archetype. Yeah, that's that's what you do. You know, they're fighting, they're yelling at each other, and then it's sex time. Well, you know what's funny is uh, in in Raiders of the Lost Ark. Um, in the scene where he, you know, he's already he's already been tasked to go and find the Ark of the Covenant. Marcus Brody goes to his house and they're they're chatting about things. You know, it's a lot of exposition. But Indiana Jones is in a bathrobe, and it's kind of weird, you know, that he's just hanging out in a bathrobe. Apparently, when it was originally shot, after Marcus Brody leaves, there's a woman that comes out that had been in the bedroom the whole time, and they decided to to cut that out because um, they felt like the character had developed into somebody who was more than like a James Bond womanizer, but originally in the script, that was sort of the thing. He was, like you were saying, you know, that kind of archetype where where that's what he did. When they kind of jumped right back into it in the next two movies. 
Yeah, especially with Willie. Yeah. With Willie and and with uh, Nazi lady, Duty. <laughs> was it El- Elsa? Was that her name? Yeah, uh, Elsa Schneider. Yeah. You know, where they're yelling at each other and, you know, getting all mad and then they do it. And then uh comes out that Henry Jones also dipped his pen in that inkwell. <laughs> yeah, sorry, I cut you off on your... uh on your on your talking about it no but it's just like i don't know if you could like if you made one of the you know one of the original movies today i don't think it would be received the same yeah you know i think the like you know temple of doom where it's just, even just the you know it's just action to action they there's a the fight in the club and then they get in the plane and then they the plane goes to crash and they jump out with the raft as a parachute and then the raft lands in the river and they float down the river it's just nonstop, and I think someone other than Spielberg was to make a movie like that today, people would just scoff at it. They, I, I don't think people would give the benefit of the doubt that it's a fun action romp, that it's, you know, like, oh, that's totally unrealistic. You couldn't do that. Yeah, you almost have to go to the extreme of, like, driving cars on submarines and riding torpedoes if you want to get that same sort of uh, outlandish action that people will buy into yeah or, or even and to give a little bit of credit back to kingdom of the crystal skull people complaining about indy hopping in that fridge and getting blasted away from a nuclear explosion like, we can't do that well you know it's ridiculous action movie it's like a pulp action movie for christ's sake you got to suspend some disbelief you know it's weird because I I feel like like we're falling on on the opposite ends of the argument from from earlier where it's like I yeah uh, maybe, maybe I'm just being a fanboy about it I'm like ah but yeah that, I think that one did cross the line for me but but well, I that, but that's but I, that's considerably less realistic than jumping out of an airplane with a raft and landing safely in a river yeah nuclear explosion is is it's it's one of those things that. It's sort of understood is the great annihilator, you know. Like, like I, it's it's a little less fun than than you know a flotation device, somehow getting enough wind resistance for you to not splatter <laughs> when when you hit a mountain. Plus, Willie Willie screams, you know. Dead is dead. I mean, you'd be toast either way. Both of them are completely unrealistic. Yeah. I mean, I didn't like. I, I had the same knee-jerk reaction when I saw Crystal Skull the first time. Like that was stupid. You couldn't do that. But then, like going back and watching the other movies, like, oh, okay, well, yeah, I, I get it. <laughs> Actually, you know what? Now, now that I think about it, I think when I first saw it, I, I think I did appreciate the fun in it. But then, one, it was one of those things where, like, once somebody points it out, it bothers you. And once, some, once somebody had a big problem with it, I was like, oh yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, Indiana Jones was never really that grounded in realism like it is it's a pulp novel yeah all right i think uh i think we've been sitting here for a little bit and we need to uh pause for a little commercial break um but we will be right back now in november come the longer evenings when folks drop in to play bridge or stop for a snack after the movies so keep the refrigerator stocked with Kraft's famous cheese food Velveeta, to spread or slice for swell toasted sandwiches Velveeta is a natural for late evening snacks, you know, because it's digestible as milk itself. These days, you really ought to be buying rich golden Velveeta in the two-pound size, so you'll have plenty for snacks and also to melt for economical meatless main dishes. Remember, smooth-melting Velveeta helps supply the protein you expect from a main dish, but the price is low. Tomorrow, get Kraft's famous Velveeta. <laughs> Thank you. 
Are you going to welcome back or do you want me to? Uh, you can welcome back. Why not? And we're rolling. Welcome back. <laughs> oh, I didn't think much further ahead than that. Not cutting. Um, yeah, well, welcome back. I hope you enjoyed that fantastic sponsor copy. So, uh, so what do you got, John? What is what is your one word review of the Indiana Jones series? Well, with me, I I, I went a little little more praising because um, clearly I love this series and you don't. Um, no, my my one word that I went for was captivating. I was looking for a word that uh, that described how I feel when I watch the movies and how I felt when I was a child watching the movies. So. I, I pulled up a definition of captivating. It says, to attract and hold the attention or interest of, as by beauty or excellence. And that, to me, is a perfect definition of what Indiana Jones to me. You know, when I think of adventure, this is it. You know, there's something eminently rewatchable and, and classic and timeless about these adventures. Um, the locations, the attitude, the action, the humor, and, you know, the, the exploration of the, the mythic things that, that don't actually exist. Um, like I was saying earlier, like I love how, how it treats it with respect and reverence, even though you're talking about Bible artifacts or thuggy rituals or aliens, you know, it, it presents it in a way that, that says it's okay for it to exist in the real world. Like it exists, but it doesn't have to change the world because of it. Well, yeah, they're like ancient secrets and they generally end up staying ancient secrets. Yeah. You know, like like we touched on earlier, if if it came out that somebody actually found the Ark of the Covenant and it had the power to melt faces and shit, like holy crap, like this would be an entirely different landscape that we'd be living in, as far as like uh like religion goes, like like our our whole belief systems would be turned on their ear. Well, if you had proof that there is some sort of divine power, you'd kind of have to start rethinking something. Absolutely. Like, or it would totally reaffirm what you already believed. One of the two. Yes. Yeah. And, and, and that, that's why I've always loved the idea of ghosts and aliens. Like, I want them to exist. I don't want them to fuck with me. I don't want to be haunted. I don't want to be abducted and probed. But I want there to be definitive evidence that, that, they, that they do exist, that they are out there. And that would be, it would be super exciting for me. It'd be really inconvenient for me. Oh, Yeah. Aliens, not so much, but ghosts would probably be really inconvenient for me. Why's that? Because would just have to—I'd have to really reassess the things I believe, and I'm—you know—I'm getting older. I don't want to reassess anything <laughs> that I believe anymore. I need my my positions need to harden from here on out. But uh, I, I do like captivating. I, I think it does because the movies keep you engaged pretty much the whole way through. Like, there's not a whole lot of slow parts. Yeah, they keep things rolling. And, you know, there's no intergalactic trade negotiations that you got to sit through. <laughs> Take that, Star Wars. It is just nonstop action and or you know a little bit of intrigue, maybe some detective work. But it, it's very easy to keep your interest the whole way through. I mean, I've got, like I said, my kids are 10 and 8, and they have no problem you know, sitting quietly pretty much through the movie the whole time. And it holds their interest, even though there's not bright colors and f- funny voices. Yeah, your kids, they're going to be all right if they're enjoying Indiana Jones at this age. Yeah. Yeah, like when I watched uh, when we watched Temple of Doom the other night, I'd totally forgotten about the opening sequence of that movie. Oh yeah, the club Obi Wan. Yeah, yeah, like where it was, like opens with like a cabaret number, and I'm like, am I watching the right movie? Oh did, yeah. Did Amazon give me the wrong movie? Like, is, is this how this starts? It starts with this musical number. Yeah, anything goes in Chinese, I think. Yeah, yeah, and, and then eventually, you know, the Indiana Jones 
stuff came up. And like I said, it's okay. It's got Spielberg's name. Okay. I think we're in the right place, but I, I totally forgotten about that. Yeah. Yeah. Once you, once you hear like, you know, the, the negotiation for the antidote, he's like, antidote. He's like, for the poison you just drank, Dr. Jones. <laughs> you know, like, aha, yeah, I'm in the right place. Well, like when I was talking about, you know, his willingness to kill and kind of questionable more, like at the beginning of that, where, you know, mm-hmm. he gets introduced to Willie by holding a knife to her throat and threatening to kill her. Wasn't it a fork? Like an oyster fork? Oh, yeah, yeah, it was an oyster fork, yes. Because he poked a hole in her dress. Yeah. And it wasn't her throat, it was her side, actually. Well, where I thought you were going to go with it when you were talking about the killing was that fucking skewer that that flaming kebab yeah. he he throws right into the guy like that was gruesome like every time i see that like you see that guy's face like, you know, like oh man like that guy's not happy you know he's he's had better days yeah and you, i mean he's not a complicated here you don't see him racked with guilt over the many lives he's ended well you know what that if if some new director took over indiana jones it's probably Talk what they would that. do just yeah. like just like superman you know you got to make him brooding and you got to humanize him so going back to earlier when we were talking about how Tom Selleck almost got the role, what would it be like if if he did? Like, what if Tom Selleck was Indiana Jones? What would be different? Because it, it, it certainly would be different. But it's it's really hard to to even imagine somebody besides Harrison Ford in the role. Like, he is Indiana Jones. I don't want to see no fucking Chris Pratt taking over the role like people are calling for. Fuck that. Oh, yeah, he's way too hammy. But, uh, no, I mean, Tom Selleck would definitely be different. I don't, I think he still might have done a good job. Yeah. Like, I don't, I, I don't doubt that he would have done a good job. I mean, I could see seeing him Magnum P.I. I think they just carry a little bit of a, a different tone. I think Harrison Ford brought some of that more kind of snarky, I guess, a little bit of Han Solo. Yeah, like, you know, he, the, excuse he's, me, princess kind yeah, of attitude he's, he's to Indiana of, Jones. He's kind of aloof. Yeah, yeah, he's very aloof, and I just Tom Selleck doesn't strike me as an aloof kind of guy. Have you ever seen um, the the footage of Tom Selleck's screen test with Sean Young? Not. Yeah, it's it's interesting because his line delivery. I mean, it's a screen test, so it's always a little rough. Like even Christopher Reeves' screen test for Superman was was rough, but it is a totally different delivery than Harrison Ford. Like if his Indiana Jones movie ended up like that, it would be entirely different it'd be really interesting to see how that character would play to audiences wait because tom selleck's got more of like i guess a brash confidence yeah whereas harrison ford was he's he's kind of aloof and kind of a little bit more i don't really care yeah (laughs) yeah he's even got that that kind of attitude in his uh in his interviews too he's he is a fun interview to watch because he's he really does not give a shit, and he'll he'll give the interviewer shit when they ask a question you think is stupid. Oh, good for him. Though I gotta say, I I, I think I could do Indiana Jones with a mustache. I think he, uh, <laughs> I'm a big proponent of uh, mustache. I think it's a you good, like you like good... mustachioed men. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. A little bit of tickle for the pickle. <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah. I mean. My mom loved Magnum P.I. when I was a kid. Yeah. So I watched a lot of Magnum P.I. See, I, I understand what Magnum P.I. is, and like I recognize it. I know the theme song really well because it's a cool fucking theme song. And Tom Selleck in his cap and his Hawaiian shirt and his short shorts. Yeah, I, I get it. I'm not sure I've ever even seen an episode of Magnum P.I. from beginning to end. Sort of the same thing with like uh, with Mr. Peabody and Sherman from the last episode. I just never, never saw it. My parents must not have been into it. Those short shorts. Uh, my mom was totally into it. Yeah, I bet your mom was on a uh, on a mustache and Magnum PI th- 
note, they rebooted Magnum PI, also tying back into the fact that they keep rebooting shit that because they I guess they can't come up with something. Did they go unique. through with this? Oh yeah, yeah, it's out. It's out now and the dude doesn't have a mustache. Still drives what a Ferrari? I think it's Ferrari. It's Ferrari or a Lamborghini. I can't remember what was the Magnum PI drove. So he still got he still has the supercar. But uh he doesn't have a goddamn mustache. Oh, okay. Well, it must have been a while since I since I last heard, but for some reason I thought I had heard early on that that they were rebooting Magnum PI and that it was gonna be a female who was Magnum. No, it's definitely a dude. If it, it was a female, I wouldn't falter for not having a mustache. I get, yeah. I get that decision. Yeah, yeah. When you said dude doesn't have a mustache, I'm like, and why? Um, so is the sidekick a female now? You know, I don't know. I haven't actually watched. I just saw commercials for it. So I've, yeah. I've not actually seen the show, so I'm not sure how much any of the rest of the program. Get press. the hell out of here. Like that Hawaii Five-0 yeah. reboot with Scott Kahn. Like, come why? on. Get the fuck out of here. Uh, and, and also, in general, I got to say, I'm sick of fucking shows about cops, doctors, lawyers, and firefighters. They don't need to make any more of those. Yeah. Yeah, give give us a good 10-year break without any of those. Find something else. You know, make a show about an accountant. Yeah, civil you know, engineer drama. Yeah. I, it, there's got to be something there. Right? Land, I mean, landscaper tr- comedy. Try and fail. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's I want to say. Try and fail. I understand those jobs are kind of in, inherently dramatic, but uh, everything's got some sort of drama in it. Yeah. The fast-paced life of a chess professional. Yeah. I mean, you got like Breaking Bad, where it's you know, yeah, that's a nice concept. You got a chemistry teacher that becomes a you know meth dealer. Okay, that's cool. I, that's something unique. I, there's not very many of those out there. But cop, doctor, lawyer, firefighter shows. Holy shit! Yeah. All right, Ben. I know you hate them, but it's gonna happen. I'm gonna do a ranking list. So uh, today, I decided to go with my my top ten supporting cast members from the Indiana Jones films. Um, I decided to go with the top ten. Because the top five would be too obvious, you know, just it would just clearly be the obvious ones. I'm almost tempted to not even go in an order because clearly there is an order to it. But, you know, maybe I'll just mix it up a little bit. Number 10 is going to be somebody who you might not think of as a as a top supporting cast member. But it's somebody that we touched on earlier. It is the chilled monkey brains guy. (laughs) There are certain scenes. And certain characters that stand out and, you know, like you said, like snake surprise and chilled monkey brains. You know, those lines have always, always been in my head. You know, whenever I think of Temple, Temple of Doom, you've got the opening, then you've got riding the elephants, getting there. You've got the dinner scene. That dinner scene is so shocking and nasty. There's eyeball soup and then there's the dude with snake surprise and chilled monkey brains. So he is a standout character for me. No, I, I can totally dig that. That guy, he is the most interesting guy at the table. I want to see what he did before and after dinner. Yeah, and even though he didn't quite make my list, I guess an honorable mention from that same dinner scene is the the little kid Maharaja. The little, I heard them talking about the thuggy culture. I heard they were real. <laughs> You're like, All right. Yeah, I thought about putting him on there, but he doesn't—he doesn't have enough. You know, I mean, it's—it's it's not quite there. It's not chilled monkey brains level. Yeah, he's got that, and then the little scene at the end with short round. Yeah, yeah, where he's just getting his ass kicked. Or yeah, yeah I guess he is causing Indy some pain, but uh, no, he—he—he he, he didn't make it. Honorable mention is best for him. Um, number nine, we have the monkey from Raiders of the Lost Ark. 
He's a he's a fun little character. Yeah. You know, he's he's running around. He's a little henchman for the bad guy who's hanging out with Indiana Jones. But he ends up doing the most valuable thing that uh, that could be done there. When Indy's talking to Sala and the monkey's snacking on those dates, and Indiana Jones, you know, he's he's sitting there. You know, they're poison dates. So Indiana's like almost putting the date in his mouth. You know, building that tension, and he tosses it up in the air. Sala grabs it out of the air, and then he utters that classic line. Do you remember it? Doesn't sound like it. Nope. <laughs> no, so Sala points points down to the ground and goes, bad dates. And uh, you look and you see that that monkey who's dead, dead on the ground. Monkey. Yep. Uh, R.I.P. monkey. And little factoid, Frank Welker did the did the voice of the little monkey squeak. So Frank Welker is, uh, there's, there's probably nobody who's ever seen cartoons that hasn't heard Frank Welker's voice. He's got such a legendary resume going to Hanna-Barbera doing Freddy from Scooby-Doo. He was Megatron in Transformers. Oh. He was Claw in Inspector Gadget. And then, uh, and then some, some little noises that you might recognize uh, as similar to the monkey is uh, he was Nibbler in Futurama. Oh, for totally. both both the little the little squeaky noises and his speaking voice, but Frank Welker has done so many friggin' things. The landscape is permeated with his voice's smell. Well, he does a good job because I I would have legitimately just thought those were monkey noises. Yeah, no, Frank Welker is the man. I, I never would have thought they needed to get somebody to voice the monkey. Yeah, yeah, I guess that's how you can control it. I figured they just had a really well trained monkey. Oh, well, he was pretty well trained. Yeah, they, yeah they, he did they, all kinds of other stuff that, you know, yeah. normal monkeys don't do. They got him to do a Nazi salute. So, uh, yeah. And he was better than that stupid grease haired monkey from Kingdom of the Crystal Skull that, that Mutt looks at and they, they understand each other. <laughs> so, next up, we're going to go Willie Scott. Yeah. Andy. You know, oh man. She was she, just the right amount of irritating. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You love to hate her. She she is awful, but she is great at the same time. Uh Kate Capshaw did a great job. You know, apparently she had to take um, you know, somebody gave her like uh shit was what's the word I'm thinking of? Like uh, thing thing like anxiety medication to film those bug scenes. She was so incredibly freaked out, but she was a singer and she was excited to do all, all that stuff. I don't think she knew what she was getting herself into. Well, I think bring, being freaked out was, probably helped because I think her character was not comfortable. Willie yeah. was not comfortable either. Yeah, yeah. If, if, you want, if you watch an interview with her, she describes it like she was just sort of like, she was drugged up when they had to go in and do that. Just like, oh, yeah, yeah, this is great. And that's where she met Steven Spielberg. And years later, they got married. Oh, I did not know that. Yeah, she is Spielberg's wife. And in an early script for Crystal Skull, they had somebody just make some offhand comment about how how Willie Scott had gone on to marry some Hollywood director or something. You know, just as a little Ah. inside baseball thing. But I'm I'm okay with them not doing it. So next up, I've got uh, Marcus Brody, played by Denim Elliott. Um, you know, he's a wise confidant to Indiana Jones. Uh, in Raiders, he's much more stoic and knowledgeable. And I loved how when they brought him back in Last Crusade, which you watched today, you know, they gave him a bit more to do and, you know, a bit more comic relief. I love that when, you know, it's like he speaks a dozen languages. He can blend in. <laughs> yeah. And then, yes, yeah, Sala's taking him. The, the guys come to take him to the Ministry of of Antiquities, and he's like, "Oh no, we'll go over here, run!" And he's just kind of standing there, mm-hmm. like, "Run, run!" Did, did <laughs> he's just you completely, say? Uh, completely incapable? Yeah, 
Yeah, he's just like wandering <laughs> around the street trying to ask people questions in English, even though they're in Egypt or, or wherever. Yeah, so it's such a great character. And it, it was it was a shame that he passed away before before Crystal Skull and they had to have that other guy. Uh, what was his name? Was it Jim Broadbent? I, I can't remember the, the name of the actor. But they had him sort of fill the role. But I loved that they had a statue to Marcus Brody on the, on the college campus. Yeah. I, thought, I thought that was a fitting tribute. You know, just like the picture of Indy's dad. And them talking about how how you lose so many people. Next up, I have Salah. Yeah, as we just talked about. Yeah, played by John Reese Davies, fantastic actor, great character actor. Uh, I guess Spielberg had seen him in a in a in a stage production, and originally Spielberg wanted uh, Danny DeVito for the role of Salah. Really? Yeah. Yeah, and I'm I'm pretty glad that they got John Reese Davies. Yeah, Danny DeVito couldn't get out of his uh, his contract. I think it was for Taxi. He was on he was doing that show and couldn't couldn't make it work. I can't see Danny DeVito convincingly punching somebody out. Yeah, and or, or even like being an Egyptian. Yeah, I, I don't know. He'd just be he'd just be Danny DeVito, and I love Danny DeVito. But yeah, that's that when when uh, when they were telling John Reese Davies, uh, you know, how to how to act, or you know, giving him some some character direction. I can't remember the name of the character that he that he played on stage that Spielberg saw him in, but they, he said, do a little bit of that with a little bit of Falstaff. So he put that gravitas in his voice, and you know, everything's just sort of blah blah blah. You know, mm-hmm. um, with my terrible impressions. But he got he got those classic lines, you know, like asps, very dangerous. You go first, and bad dates. Yeah. Well, another thing, if it was today, they'd probably get crap for not casting an Egyptian or Arab person to play an Egyptian or Arab character, as opposed to getting this white guy. To, yeah. To pretend he's not. Yeah. Speaking of getting crap, well, when they were filming Raiders of the Lost Ark, everybody who ate in the restaurants got just got crazy food poisoning. They were all sick. All the time, Spielberg famously did not get sick because he ate canned food that they that they shipped over from London. So he he was the one person that didn't get sick. And John Reese Davies, when they were filming a scene, he was supposed to squat down and lift something up or something. I think the scene got cut altogether, but right in front of everybody on set, dude squatted down and shit his pants. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I love that that he will fully admit to that. Well, I mean, it was probably on camera. I mean, <laughs> there's only so much he could do to deny it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he'll he'll volunteer the information. He's got he's got no shame apparently. But no, I I think he'd be a really fun dude to talk to. Hey, I mean, there's something there's something real about a good shit in your pants story. Yeah, I got a couple. Oh, oh, geez, yeah, no kidding. I know you do. <laughs> Bonus content. That, that's when when we start the Patreon, we get to we get to hear about the the Ben shitting his pants stories. So number five is Walter Donovan, played by Julian Glover on uh, Last Crusade. Um, he's another one of those actors that that also was able to cross over into Star Wars. He was uh, he was one of the Empire captains, lieutenants. I don't know. He was he was an officer. Also a bad guy. Yes. Yeah, he's a great bad guy. In fact, I think Julian Glover's also one of those people who's done the the trifecta. I think he was also in a James Bond flick. But yeah, he, he was knowledgeable. You trusted him enough. You know, he sent him after Indy's dad and he turns out to be a Nazi sympathizer to a degree in the end. You know, I, I think he's more out for himself, but he's working with the Nazis and he gets one of the best comeuppance in uh, in the yeah. whole series when he lets Elsa Schneider pick for him and she she picks the wrong cup on purpose. And yeah, his his whole crumbling to dust was a great scene. It's an awesome effect too that I don't think had much in the way of CGI in it. It looked Pretty fully practical. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think they did a little bit of touch up with some post production, but yeah, yeah. I, I still don't. I don't think CGI was was a very no. Yeah, they they did do some. They had that. like green screens and a few things where they could touch stuff up here and there. But no, it was not. It ain't. What was it? I'm pretty sure when his when his face first starts degrading, I I think that that was early CGI. Yeah, I, maybe I know. I know, like the you could tell just by kind of the jerkiness of it that like his hair growing out from behind. Yeah, when it's got that behind, it was all shot. stop motion. Looked like the, you know they kind of did it like a stop motion kind of thing with it, but I could be wrong. Yeah, if it was I, CGI, it didn't look like it, which they st- haven't mastered with a lot of things today still. So yeah, well, I mean, look at Jurassic Park. That a lot of those like that that first T Rex scene is still some of the best fucking CGI I've ever seen. It looks real. It looks real to me. Well, and even in Jurassic Park, they used a good bit of practical effects. Too. Yes, like they didn't just they didn't lean so heavy. Like they made that giant actual triceratops yeah yeah and and the t-rex head when it's uh when it's going through the roof and you know like the the up close shots yeah raptor hands and raptor faces and stuff mm-hmm. yeah yeah i mean it made the, a difference and most of it was great there's that scene with like the uh the gallimimus where they're all running in herds and they're watching yeah. through there that one's the one that stands out to me as the one that doesn't age well all right so next up we're gonna go we're gonna go shorty Short round. He's got great lines that I, I would repeat here, if but you know, doing a, a shorty impression might be a little culturally insensitive. And uh and I don't I don't I don't think it's so spot on that it's worth crossing those lines. But I love those lines, you know, like no time for love and hold on to your potatoes and you know, like you know, hold I, on to your potatoes. Yeah. I'm small, <laughs> you cheat real big, you know. It's it's uh, uh I love it. He's such a such a great spunky little character. He's a, he's a great foil. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It, it would it would be wonderful to see to see him back in some form. Next up, we have Marion Ravenwood yeah. from Raiders of the Lost Ark, and back in uh, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. You know, she Karen Allen is such a great actress. Like she she had such a good quality for like a sassy tough chick but still super cute about it and still vulnerable yeah Yeah, and she's a great counterpoint to indiana jones yeah like they play off each other really well she's not just like the like willie was kind of the ditzy complainy girl that they'd fight and then get it on or attempt to get it on yeah and then elsa was more of a you know the seductress and she was a proper whole person Marion was. <laughs> I was like, yeah, Elsa was a whole person. Yep. Yeah, no. Marion Marion was she the she was Marion. Marion was a proper whole character. Yeah. The way she leads by clocking him and then immediately launching into how much he hurt her. So so you see both sides. You see the toughness and the vulnerability um, at the same time. And I'm really glad that they brought her back and that they ended up getting married. That that was great. Yeah, she's definitely the right girl for Indy. Yeah. And then this one, all right, is uh, it's it's kind of a cheat, I think. In Raiders of the Lost Ark, there are the two men from the government who come to give Indiana Jones his mission to go get the the Ark of the Covenant. One of the characters, the uh, the more heavy set balding one, his name is Major Eaton. In this uh, in this movie, he doesn't have much of a role, but he's played by an actor named William Hootkins, and this guy. I feel is important because uh, somehow he's managed to get into so many important parts of my childhood. So he's in Raiders of the Lost Ark, right? You might also have seen him in 
a little a little movie called Star Wars where he played Red Six, otherwise known as Porkins. Okay, I know who you're talking about now. Yeah. I, was trying to, I was having a hard time picturing him before. Yeah, and then he was in a movie called Superman Four where he played Harry Howler, one of the arms dealers who works with Lex Luthor. That's actually the first association I made with him. When I was watching Raiders, I was like, that guy, he's got to be that guy from Superman 4. And then I went down the rabbit hole. And he also played Lieutenant Eckhart in Batman 1989. So this guy, I mean, he was also in Flash Gordon, but I don't I don't know that movie so well. But this guy, he's an important person to me. So I, I wanted to give him, a, give him a little call out. Apparently his nickname is Hoot. Oh, yeah? William Hoot Hootkins. Yeah, the old, the old Hooter, old Willie Hoots. And then number one, can you guess? Mm, not solid. Goodness gracious, it's his fucking dad. Is is it Henry? Yeah, it's Sean Connery. He is the fucking man. You know the the way in, in the beginning with River Phoenix. You know, like he's he's such a stern disciplinarian and you believe what what he's saying and he's an authoritarian you know he's no bullshit he makes him count to 10 and he starts counting he's all no in greek, in greek. yeah like wow what a dickhead and you know he's unflinching and i i love how he's a religious man uh, on the search for the grail but he's still gotten himself embroiled in this adventure you know he he still ended up banging elsa schneider like that's that's fantastic but he's horrified at the violence and slaps into you when he says Jesus Christ. I was just going to bring it up. I I <laughs> love that so much when when he does that when he slaps him and he points and he looks stern and he says that's for blasphemy. It's like, "Oh, that uh, it it drove the point home and the the two of them couldn't have been more different, but they find common ground by the end." And who could forget Sean Connery's scene where he uses his umbrella to uh to make the seagulls fly up and get in that in that plane and make them crash. <laughs> I remembered my Chaucer. Yes. Yeah, thank you. Because I, I could not remember that line at all, and I was bummed. <laughs> I'm sure I could have filled a much larger list with Indiana Jones characters, but, you know, that would have taken forever. Yeah, you um, didn't even have Molaram on there. Yeah, I know, I know, I know, I know. I'd, uh, some uh, Somehow it slipped, and so we'll put him as another honorable mention. Great actor whose name I cannot remember right now, and I feel bad for it. Um, ripping people's hearts out, making people drink blood. Heart-rending performance. Ah, I get it. He sure did get what was coming to him. Amish Puri, by the way, or Amrish Puri. Oh, is that his name? Yeah. Fantastic. On the facts. Hey, you don't even have your computer over there today, do you? I've got my pocket computer. Your phone? Yep. Yeah, answer machine. Indiana Jones just, it had it all. As we saw with it with with this list, you know, like it had great characters, um, but it had great stunts, it had great story, it had humor, it had music. Oh my goodness, how did I not touch on the music? Like, my opinion is not biased because the char- the guy's <laughs> name is John Williams. Um, I can't do a single comic convention without somebody coming up and saying, oh, yeah, I loved your music on Star Wars. My knee-jerk answer is always like, yeah, well, what about Indiana Jones? You know, because nobody ever says Indiana Jones or Superman. Those are great. The, the main the main Raiders march, Marion's theme in uh, in Raiders is so soft and gorgeous, you know, kind of reminiscent of, of the Princess Leia theme. But yeah, Indiana Jones, that's one of my top soundtracks. Yeah, the main Indiana Jones theme, I mean, it's every bit as iconic as the Imperial March. Yeah. I mean, you know exactly what that is when you hear it. Yeah, John Williams is 
amazing. I wish my parents had named me after him, but they didn't. It's just coincidence, you know, that I happen to love everything he does. That's part of all the, all the elements that came together to make such a, a truly unique and great franchise. It's often imitated, but never beaten. To, to borrow from James Bond, nobody does it better. Uh, Indiana Jones, if, if, somebody, if somebody were to ask me what my absolute favorite film series is, it would undoubtedly be Indiana Jones. Back to the Future might be second. You know, they don't have misses quite like the Superman franchise does or, or Batman. But yeah, to, to wrap it all up in a bow, like Indiana Jones is it. You know, it's, it's got everything I love. I, will, I, I hope they make 17 more of them before Harrison Ford uh, <laughs> passes away or gets too old for it. But yeah, what, what, I don't know. What, what, is, what does Indiana Jones mean to you? I think it's just it's it's fun and it harkens back to I think a, a time where movie fun was a bit simpler where you could you could make a picture that was just exciting and just well well made and to be enjoyed at face value for what it is it's it's original content it's interesting it's fun uh it's just well done pretty much all the way around mm-hmm and they just, they don't make them like that anymore. It's the truth. <laughs> Unfortunately. And, you know, I guess everything's more magical when you're a kid and then you get old and jaded. And, and you know, it's probably hard for, even if somebody did make a really good movie these days, it might be hard for them to really get me to buy into it the way I've bought into Indiana Jones. Yeah. But, uh, no, it's it's definitely one of my favorites. Yeah. What's your favorite of the series? I was thinking about this earlier, and it's probably Raiders. I do like Temple a lot as well. Mm-hmm. So Temple would be your number two. Rank them real quick. Either, is it is it in the order of release? Maybe. I like I like Raiders for slightly different reasons than I like Temple of Doom. I, I think, it, especially after watching it today, uh, Last Crusade is is my least favorite. But I really, really enjoyed last crusade still so okay it, hold it's on it's not saying a whole lot are you talking of the original trilogy or are you putting oh, well, crystal yeah, skull in yeah there? yeah i'm not even including crystal yes no no crystal skull is my least favorite. okay okay Woo. talking about the try not to be too obvious here yeah well i, I thought i thought you just had a super hot take that uh that was gonna, no. gonna <laughs> gen, generate some clicks we just call this episode ben thinks raider or uh, last crusade is worse than no. crystal skull <laughs> no I haven't hit my head that hard yet. No. I've I've always had the hardest time in the world deciding between Raiders and Last Crusade. Because Raiders did it first. It did it great. You know, like like it's there there's nothing like it. It's pure. But Last Crusade hits a lot of the same notes and it hits them well. And in some cases it hits them better. But it's one of those, you know, you couldn't have Last Crusade without Raiders. That doesn't mean that Last Crusade can't be better, you know, just because it 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 came after but how much of it is playing on familiar territory and you know how much of that do i love because of raiders so i don't know i think i probably would go raiders as well but on a certain day last crusade could be my favorite and i know i've i've talked this with talked about this with one of our buddies who's also a, a huge indiana jones fan and last crusade is his favorite for that same reason you know that that raiders is great but Last Crusade did it better. So there's just not enough Nazis in Temple for you? <laughs> I, 
I think, um, again, they, they pressed the same buttons and they pressed the right buttons, but they were operating at a higher level of even, even like production. You know, they were still doing it practical and still doing it right, but they were doing it, they were executing better because they just, they had more experience. Yeah, I can, I can see that. They both have bitchin' Nazi car jumping fighting scenes, except one's in a desert and the other's in a jungle. Yeah. But they're both great. Oh man, and that tank scene too. Yeah. That was that was fantastic. Barely makes it out, and I don't think he died. Uh-huh. Well, I think that about wraps it up for Indiana Jones. Thank you for choosing wisely and listening to Geek Exploration the podcast today. If you want to let us know how we did, you can email us at email at geeksplorationpodcast.com. You can find us on the social medias at uh, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, at Geek Exploration Podcast. And if you enjoyed the show, please drop us a five Fertility Idol review on Apple Podcast. It really is the best way to get the word out. Also, you can subscribe at geeksplorationpodcast.com and get notifications anytime we drop a new episode or if we... We're probably going to be doing some bonus content at some point. Our theme was Cruising for Goblins by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com. Until next time, remember, X never, ever marks the spot. Bye.